To bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. Cannabisradio.com presents the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Hey, this is great, man. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokets and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Wednesday, July 20th, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to the show. We are coming to you live from beautiful, legal potland, Oregon, on the banks of the Willamette River, 26 floors up, overlooking a nice day, partly cloudy. Actually, I'm going to call it partly sunny. I can see a lot of blue sky today, and I can see all the way out to Mount Hood, so... It is a beautiful day, and we've got plenty of marijuana news to bring to you today. Uh, in our Government at Work segment, we're going to get to that at about half past today. We're going to take a look at a story uh, that I found uh, up on, what was this, the New York, uh, the Mercury News, San Jose Mercury News. Uh, what happens to medical marijuana if recreational use becomes legal in California? And uh, actually, it was the Orange County Register that uh, originally published this. And it details the concerns of medical cannabis patients in the state of California who fear that Prop 64, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, is somehow going to upset their apple cart. It's going to make their lives uh, more unbearable. And the primary objection they've got is taxes that are going to be charged to recreational and medical consumers alike. We'll talk about that in the Government at Work segment. Right after that, we'll get to the Radical Rant, and you get a special preview today of my exclusive feature article for Freedom Leaf magazine, Ganja and the Gridiron. The NFL has a marijuana problem. And uh, we'll bring you that article in the Radical Rant. I'm going to give you basically an overview of the NFL, its treatment, of marijuana and the players who use it. So stay tuned for that coming up at the end of the show in the Radical Rant. In the first half hour, we will get to some drug war data mining. There's a new study out. Hold on to your hats, folks. A new study that says drinking booze makes you aggro and smoking pot makes you mellow. Man, where do I get the grant money for a study like that? (laughs) How do do we figure that out? Uh, This just in, the Pope is Catholic and bears do defecate in the woods. Uh, Also on the show today, we'll go behind the headlines in our cannabis focus and take a look at Willie Nelson and his new brand, Willie's Reserve, which is looking to debut in Washington State. Uh, Was it today or or this week? I'll have to get the details for you. But uh, this month, there will be Willie's Reserve brand cannabis in Washington State pot shops. Next month, they'll be in Colorado pot shops. I've got the list uh, of some of the pot shops you'll be able to find Willie's Reserve in uh, in Washington State. So stay tuned for that. That's coming right after the Cannabis Radio News. We've got a lot of headlines today to go over. A terrible poll coming out of Massachusetts that casts a pall on marijuana legalization. We've got a court date in Arizona 
for determining whether legalization goes forward in that state. We've got the suspension of medical licenses for four doctors in Colorado. We'll tell you why. We've got a look at Ricky Williams, who says he sets he has set a world record, and we'll tell you what world record that is. We've got the first CBD oil dispensary opening up in Florida to tell you about, and uh, interesting, mysterious news about one of the most powerful and influential people in the marijuana industry in the state of Colorado, who has suddenly departed his position. We'll tell you who it is and what the uh, organization is doing to make up for the lack of this person. Then stay tuned for Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio. We've got some clips of our good friend Sanho Tree, uh, who is a public policy fellow and a brilliant man, who recently was in a televised debate with Kevin Sabet. So uh, we'll have some highlights of that because that's always fun to listen to. And we're going to go over that uh, Arizona, uh, some more of those Arizona opposition arguments to marijuana legalization. Sit back, load a bowl, smoke it up. We got two hours of marijuana coming at you now. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you and they earn rewards points. PayQuick connects to your bank account for free and secures all of your transactions. And with PayQuick, you can pay your producers and processors for free. Plus, it pays to have it because it makes depositing your cash safe and so easy. No cops, no crooks, just compliance and comfort, knowing you have your cannabis business in check with PayQuick. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. You know, during Dance with the Stars, I started feeling discomfort. Yeah. And not only that, I was doing these old mountain smells. And it was kind of embarrassing because, you know, the, all the Dancing with the Stars crew, cast and crew, you know, they were all young kids. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, this old guy would come along and do one of those silent farts, you know, that you don't know you're doing it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you smell, and everybody go, what the hell smells? And, you know, and you knew it was me. And, and so I'd scurry off to the bathroom, you know. And that's when I knew that there was something wrong. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on... On CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. You're listening to Radical Russ on the Russ Belleville Show. Get Dot Buzz. Dot Buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. Dot Buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. Dot Buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. DotBuzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. 
Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, July 20th, 2016. Boston, Massachusetts. A new poll shows that Massachusetts may be the least likely of the five states voting to pass a marijuana legalization initiative this November. Gravis Marketing for Jobs First, a conservative political action committee, found that 51% of voters oppose Question 4, the initiative to regulate marijuana like alcohol. 41% support the measure, and another 9% are undecided. Republican Governor Charlie Baker, one of the nation's most popular governors, is expected to win re-election in 2018, according to the poll. Baker was joined by the Speaker of the House, Robert DeLeo, and Boston Mayor Marty Walsh in publicly opposing the measure. Phoenix, Arizona. An Arizona judge has set August 12th as the date to hear a challenge by anti-marijuana campaigners to strike a legalization initiative from the November ballot. Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Joe Lynn Gentry will hold the hearing concerning a suit from Arizonans for Responsible Drug Policy, a group made up of mostly law enforcement and rehab opposed to legalization. Attorney Brett Johnson claims that the summary of the initiative as one that, quote, regulates marijuana like alcohol, end quote, is flawed. The initiative requires employers to prove workers were impaired by marijuana use before firing them, which Johnson says is quite different than how alcohol is treated. Johnson also points to the initiative's license guarantees for existing medical marijuana dispensaries as differing from alcohol policy. Legalization spokesperson Corey Langhofer called Johnson's examples, quote, immaterial, end quote, and said the 100-word summary is in no way fraudulent. Denver, Colorado. The Colorado State Medical Board has suspended the licenses of four doctors over allegations they routinely recommended massive plant count limits for medical marijuana grows. The four doctors are accused of writing recommendations for over 1,500 patients that allow them up to 75 cannabis plants each. Six plants are the standard limit for medical marijuana patients in Colorado under the Constitution, but doctors may recommend more plants if medically necessary. Patient advocates argue that the sickest patients need greater limits to produce oils and tinctures, but law enforcement believes the large grows are merely cover for illicit marijuana trafficking activity. The state generally recommends investigation of doctors who make recommendations for more plants to over 30% of their medical marijuana patients. New York, New York. Former running back Ricky Williams says he went through at least 500 drug tests during his 11-year NFL career. The 1998 Heisman Trophy winner at Texas and first-round draft pick by New Orleans in 1999 tells Sports Illustrated in a film to be released on SI.com on Wednesday that he, quote, might have the world record for the most times drug tested, end quote. Williams, who also played for Miami and Baltimore, sat out the 2006 season while suspended by the league for violating the substance abuse policy. Ricky's wife, Kristen, outlines in the film how lax NFL testing standards were, including when a tester left the samples at the Williams' house to go get stickers for identifying them. In the film entitled, Ricky Williams Takes the High Road, Williams also discusses the prevalence of marijuana use in the NFL today and its potential as a medicinal tool. Tallahassee, Florida. 
Tallahassee grower and dispensary TrueLeave will be the first medical marijuana facility in the state of Florida to open its doors for the sale of CBD oil. Florida is one of 16 states, mostly in the South, that allow the use of non-psychoactive cannabis oil for the treatment of childhood epilepsy. Florida's TrueLeave will be the only outlet for CBD oil in any of these states. While a few other states are working on providing access, most require patients of the epileptic child to acquire the oil from other states like Colorado, then smuggle it back to their home state in violation of federal law. Another new Florida law called Right to Try will allow terminally ill patients to use cannabis products with psychoactive THC. TrueLeave says they'll make those products available in August. Denver, Colorado. Mystery surrounds the sudden departure of Executive Director Mike Elliott from the Marijuana Industry Group. Elliott helped to craft the rules and regulations for the marijuana industry in the state of Colorado as his organization transitioned from the medical marijuana industry group. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, July 20th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at one of our favorite marijuana celebrities out there, and that would be 84-year-old Willie Nelson. Is he 84 or is he 83? Uh, somewhere up there. <laughs> anyway, Willie Nelson has his new cannabis brand, Willie's Reserve, and he's going to begin selling it. It's going to finally start hitting the shelves this month in uh, the state of Washington, and in August, it will be on the shelves in Colorado. Uh, this is just breaking news about an hour ago. Uh, it's coming from thecannabist.co, 
uh, Ricardo Baca out there and the cannabis staff uh, got this news exclusively from Willie's people. Uh, they say that uh, it will coincide with Nelson's previously scheduled tour stops at Marymore Park in Redmond, Washington on July 23rd and Fiddler's Green Amphitheater in Greenwood Village, Colorado on July 30th. Willie Nelson in the press materials says, quote, I've smoked enough and I want to give back. Now that legalization is spreading across the country, there's a great opportunity to build a company that can help a lot of people, end quote. Now, here is the initial list of places where you'll be able to find Willie's Reserve Cannabis in Washington State. Uh, Buddies in Renton, Washington will be carrying it. The Evergreen Market, uh, Fweedum, F-W-E-E-D-O-M, Fweedum, uh, makes me feel like uh, Elmer Fudd. Uh, Greenside Recreational, Gypsy Greens, Urban Elements, and Nimbin Pot Shop. Uh, those are the Washington State uh, outlets that will first have Willie's Reserve. Again, the list is Buddies of Renton, the Evergreen Market, Fweedum, Greenside Recreational, Gypsy Greens, Urban Elements, and Nimbin Pot Shop. Uh now, they don't have a list yet of where the brand will be sold in Colorado. They're still working on that for August. Now, understand, of course, that this weed isn't being grown by Willie Nelson or Willie's people or Willie's particular grower. Since cannabis is still a Schedule One drug federally, it has to be grown in each state that it's going to be sold in. So this is going to be interesting because Willie's Reserve that you buy in Washington State will be weed that was grown in Washington. And Willie's Reserve that you get in Colorado will be weed that was grown in Colorado. And this is this is not just Willie Nelson. I mean, Snoop Dogg has his brand, Leafs by Snoop, and other other guys have their brands. And they're doing the same thing. They're partnering with existing licensed marijuana growers in these states. It's all they, it's all they can do. But. It's not just that they're taking whatever weed uh, is being currently grown and slapping Willie's name on it. Uh, according to the press materials, quote, Willie has consulted with horticulturalists and cannabis farmers to assure any product labeled Willie's Reserve will maintain a standard worthy of his name. Okay, so, but that's still, it opens up a lot of questions. <laughs> like, I want to know which strains are going to be uh, sold under Willie's Reserve. And will that be consistent across uh, the states? For example, if if Willie's Reserve comes in, uh, you know, a, a chem dog, a sour diesel, and a train wreck in Washington, is it going to be those same three strains of Willie's Reserve that you get in Colorado? Or will it vary? This is going to be very interesting because we find even when you have two different growers selling the same strain, you oftentimes end up with a very different product. And I wonder just how much celebrity branding can can really take root in the marijuana world. It's like, you know, Willie's Reserve is not going to be any different a marijuana than other great strains of marijuana you'll be able to buy in Washington State. What is going to give it the the extra panache, the extra flavor? Just having Willie's name on it? This reminds me in the alcohol industry of how you get rappers and other uh, stars who start their own vodka line or their own, uh, you know, their own wine label. And it really doesn't matter who the celebrity is that's on the label. It's 
is the product itself any good? I suppose Willie's Reserve is something that, you know, folks that are new to marijuana or who want that thrill of giving back to Willie Nelson or having a piece of Willie Nelson somehow uh, as a part of them. But I'm thinking for long-time heavy-duty cannabis consumers, it's the price and the quality that are going to matter more than the name of the person who's lent their brand to it. Uh, at least I hope so. I, I hope that cannabis consumers maintain that sort of skepticism that we've always naturally had in evaluating some of these celebrity brands. And, and this is not to cast aspersions on Willie Nelson by any means. If anybody deserves to make a buck off his name when it comes to marijuana, I think Willie Nelson, Snoop Dogg, and Tommy Chong have paid the price and put their money where their mouth is. Yeah, really, any one of these celebrities who, you know, prior to legalization was standing up for legalization and was vocal and open about it, I got no problem with them, you know, lending their brand name out. I think that's great. I'll take that over any of these Yale MBAs that are jumping into the green rush just because there's money there. We're going to take a break when we come back. A new study says pot makes you mellow. No shit. We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. All you have to do is decriminalize. We don't need a government regulation to tell us this is good pot, that's bad pot. We don't need any of that. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we take a look at a study coming out of the Netherlands that was just published in the journal Psychopharmacology, and it asks a very interesting, if not kind of obvious question, what happens to people when they smoke pot versus drinking alcohol when it comes to aggression? 
Now, I think anyone out there listening to me right now already knows the answer. Pot makes you mellow, and booze makes you aggro. This is just common sense, right? Well, researchers don't always like to just take common sense at face value. It's always worth asking these questions, applying some scientific methods, some experimentation, and determining if these things are really true. And so on this uh, study, first of all, they've already noted that there's numerous numerous studies about alcohol and its contribution to aggression. Uh, it's a harmful drug as far as it being poisonous, toxic, uh, detrimental to most of your organs, impairs driving ability more than just about any other drug out there. Uh, booze is the worst, and it's a factor in about 40% of the violent crimes that occur in this country. So we know there's a link between alcohol and aggression. That's not been doubted. But the question was about cannabis and aggression. Now, anecdotally, we'll tell you, you smoke pot, you get mellow. People know that. But there have been studies on this, a few studies on this, and they've been kind of mixed. There have been some studies that say, yeah, marijuana makes you relaxed, makes you mellow. But there's some other studies that show that it can cause, in some people, anxiety and paranoia. And those can both lead to aggressive activity. And every now and then you get these reports out of Colorado where, you know, somebody's gone off the deep end on an edible or something like that and, and uh, have been acting aggressively. So this was a question worth asking. And these researchers at the, uh, well, in the Netherlands, I don't know which university they were with, uh, did a randomly controlled trial. And they brought in 20 heavy drinkers. Three drinks a day for men, two drinks a day for women, at least. 21 heavy marijuana users, people that smoke three times a week or more. And 20 controls who didn't really use either of those drugs much at all. Okay, so you got an equal amount of each, about 20, 21, and 20. So they get the, the drinkers drunk. They, drink, they get them up to 0.08 blood alcohol. Okay, your, your driving threshold, right? And then they get the marijuana users high, and they did it in a standardized way. This was pretty cool. They standardized this by giving them 300 micrograms of THC per kilogram of body weight through a vaporizer. So everybody was getting equally high at the same rate, okay? And then, of course, the control group, they don't get to do anything. They're the control group. So they made all three of these groups, the drunk group, the high group, and the control group, take these tests that are designed to make you aggressive, that are designed to annoy you, basically. Uh, the first one is a association test with positive and negative words depicting aggressive and violent behavior. The second test is a computer game where they win money by pressing buttons against adversaries. And uh, a third test... Um, no, I'm sorry. Was that the test? Uh, yeah, a couple of the tests. So what they did is they measured the aggression before and after the test. Okay. And, you know, asking them on a hundred point scale, how aggressive do you feel? Then a week later, they had all three groups do the test again, but had them do it all sober. Okay. So our first test has the highs versus the drunks versus the controls. Then the, the week later, the highs, the drunks, and the controls do the same test, but they're all sober at the same time. And what they found was, quote, alcohol intoxication increased subjective aggression in the alcohol group, end quote. In other words, they got more aggressive when they were drunk. 
and less than they were sober. For the tokers, they found the tokers became less aggressive when they were high. And this was a consistent finding uh, through self-assessments. The, the drunks rated themselves more aggressive and in the tests were found to be more aggressive. Uh, the tokers were less aggressive and rated themselves as being less aggressive. The researchers concluded, quote, the results in the present study support the hypothesis that acute alcohol intoxication increases feelings of aggression and that acute cannabis intoxication reduces feelings of aggression, end quote. So uh, this is, you know, this is not surprising to us. We, we know this <laughs> from dozens and dozens and dozens of years and hundreds and thousands and millions of anecdotal stories uh, that we just get mellow when we smoke. We know this. We know this to be a fact. And there's other research that kind of backs this up as well. In 2014, marijuana use among couples was linked to lowered rates of domestic violence. Uh, in the 1980s, they did one of those uh, shock your partner type of studies. Uh, and the more stoned the, uh, the test subjects were, the less interested they were in zapping other people. And it makes you wonder and it makes you think about why our government and why uh, people in power are so resistant to marijuana legalization. And I've got to think that if you're trying to maintain a military industrial complex and you need to rile up a whole bunch of young men with patriotism to join your army to fight for your corporate profits, beer is going to make that easier and weed is going to make that harder. The more we learn that cannabis leads to less aggression, more feelings of empathy and introspection, the more obvious it becomes as to why they fought so hard to keep it illegal. All right, stay tuned. We're going to take a break. Coming back on the next half of the hour with our Government at Work segment, California patients and their fears of Prop 64. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you and they earn rewards points. PayQuick connects to your bank account for free and secures all of your transactions. And with PayQuick, you can pay your producers and processors for free. Plus, it pays to have it because it makes depositing your cash safe and so easy. No cops, no crooks, just compliance and comfort, knowing you have your cannabis business in check with PayQuick. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. It's time for Cannabis Facts About Alzheimer's from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A new Florida study in the journal Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience found that cannabis promotes the growth of healthy new brain tissue. 
It can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and may in fact be able to halt it entirely. A long-term study by Ohio State University's Professor Gary Wink concludes that people who regularly use marijuana get Alzheimer's at a much lower rate than others. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I opted for convenience to use my personal email account. Okay, maybe you're high too. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. Reforming America's marijuana prohibition laws takes education, lobbying, and voting. From Washington, D.C. to your state capitol to your city hall, marijuana law reform involves all levels of civic life. Learn how you can make your impact with elected officials as we take a look at our government at work. Today in Government at Work, I want to take a look at Proposition 64 in California, also known as the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. And there was a story came out in the Orange County Register, also reprinted in the San Jose Mercury News, that asks the question, what happens to medical marijuana if recreational use becomes legal in California? Now, let's, let's recall all the way back to 1996, when California passed the Compassionate Use Act, I've been told by, uh, by Chris Conrad, who was there uh, back in the day, along with uh, Dennis Perrone and Brownie Mary and Jack Herrer, uh, when they were putting together the Compassionate Use Act. And a lot of people don't know this, but Jack Herrer was against Prop 215 when it was first uh, announced. He was against medical marijuana. And the reason he was against it is that he worried that legalizing marijuana just for one select group of people would lead them to want to protect their own particular use. It's something that I've crystallized in, in a, uh, a label I call I got mine syndrome. And that's what we've seen happen. Jack was absolutely prescient on this. We saw it in 2010 as the entrenched medical marijuana industry Growers and patients rebelled against legalization and uh, helped to defeat Prop 19. Now, we're in better shape this time because the polls are showing about 60% support in California for Prop 64. But as this story uh, tells us, there's still a lot of fear out there among the patient community. And I think it's something that we need to work to address. The story starts with uh, a woman named Alexandra Rice. She's a lupus and depression uh, patient, uses medical marijuana, and she's 21, and here's her quote. Now, first of all, let's take the fact that she's 21 means that she's never not known marijuana to be medical. 
if she is 21 years old, then she was born in 1995, <laughs> right? So she does not remember California not having medical marijuana. She has never had to live with the fear that she was going to be arrested and have her life turned upside down for her use of marijuana. She has been protected all her life from arrest and incarceration for her use of medical marijuana. So let's just understand her perspective before we you know, get too upset at her or demonize or anything. This is her perspective. It's a valid perspective for millennials in California. They see, if they're a patient, they think things are pretty good. Hey, you pay your 40, 50 bucks to a doc in the box. You get your recommendation letter. You go shop at your dispensaries. You grow your plants. Things are cool. Why mess that up? But here's a part of her quote in this story that really bothered me. Here's her quote. If it is legalized, more people who don't respect it and just want to get high are going to take advantage of that. And people who genuinely need it as medicine will be misplaced and thrown to the side. End quote. Well, wait a minute. You can't have it both ways, patients. I hear from so many patient advocates that say, well, all use is medical. All use is medical. Even the people who are getting high are really doing it for medical purposes. Well, if that's the case, if you really believe all use is medical, then there is no separation between the people who don't respect it and just want to get high versus the people who genuinely need it as medicine. As far as you believe, we all genuinely need it as medicine, don't we? Yeah, it seems awfully convenient to me sometimes how when it suits them, all use is medical and we're all the same and we're all in this together. But when we want to have our rights to not be arrested, when we want to be able to go into shop at pot shops, oh, suddenly there's a distinction now. Suddenly there's a separation between uh, uh, the patients and us criminals, right? So that really bothered me. People who genuinely need his medicine will be misplaced and thrown to the side. People who don't respect it and just want to get high are going to take advantage. Look, in California right now, if you don't respect it and just want to get high, you can go to the dock in the box. <laughs> you can lie about your anxiety and go shop at the dispensaries now. How is it going to change the economics of the market any than what you've got now? Uh, Robert Taft, who's a longtime medical marijuana advocate, owns a dispensary in Santa Ana, says, quote, I'm completely on the fence about it, end quote. They fear that the proposition will impose stricter regulations that would affect where they could consume marijuana and how much marijuana can gr- they can grow. Despite the fact that uh, you're still permitted, medical patients will still be able to smoke medical marijuana any place tobacco smoking is allowed, while us recreational consumers uh, would be busted. I think it's a $250 fine for smoking any place tobacco is uh, – non-smoking places, I should say. Recreational consumers limited to six plants, but the medical consumers, medical patients like Alexander Rice would still be allowed to cultivate up to 100 square feet of plants. This uh, actually broadens the rights for medical marijuana uh, patients in that it protects their uh, parental rights uh, from being uh, uh, changed or interrupted due to their use of cannabis. We don't get that protection for the recreational users, mind you, just for the medical ones. But to tell you the truth, the real thing that they're upset about is the idea that it's going to be taxed. 
And in the uh, initiative, there is going to be a 15% tax uh, on at the culti- or 15% sales tax. And then at the cultivation site, $9.25 an ounce for flour. And those taxes will still be charged to uh, patients. The only tax patients get to get out of is California sales tax. And so this is what's got them concerned because a lot of these patients have to use a whole lot of medicine and they're afraid that their prices are going to go way up because of this tax. But you know, I've been checking the California dispensary prices. You know, you can find these online and I consistently find cheaper prices for marijuana in Washington state where marijuana is legal and taxed at 37% than I find in the current California dispensaries now. So this idea that legalization is going to drastically raise the prices because of these taxes being added on doesn't seem to me to be a legitimate concern. Maybe in the short term, maybe when they first roll this out, like they did in Washington, they first rolled it out, the prices were too high, you know, $35, $30 a gram, that kind of stuff. But I sincerely believe with the size, the scale of the California grow industry let loose as a legal industry is going to crash the price of marijuana in California so greatly that even by, even when you add a 15% sales tax and a $9.25 per ounce excise tax, marijuana is going to be cheaper legal than it currently is medical. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. You come talk to me in two years. Well, let's mark down the prices of California marijuana right now and then come back in two years after the legal market's been kicked for, kicking it for a while. This is going to be a huge benefit for patients. Your, your medicine is going to become more accessible, more plentiful, more affordable under legalization. This idea that patients will be pushed off to the side. Look, as we move into legalization, why you use marijuana will not determine what kind of customer you are. How much marijuana you use and how often will determine what kind of customer you are. You'll just be a high-volume customer. It doesn't matter whether you're sick or whether you just like to smoke pot and get high all the time. You'll be treated as a high-volume customer. Legalization always beats prohibition. Vote yes on Prop 64 in California. When we return... Ganja and the gridiron, a look at the NFL and medical marijuana. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. Great. 
great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. We're here with Sir Richard Branson. Far more damage has been done to people by the current approach. Jim McMahon, you know, a lot of the coaches are old school. You know, he used to just yell at us, go, oh, you bunch of bot smokers. John Popper on the telephone. You know, I think in the 60s, there was that kind of, the bigotry wasn't so concrete. It's the Russ Belville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it. And didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Today in the rant, I want to talk about ganja and the gridiron, because the NFL has a marijuana problem, and that's not allowing its use by the players when it could be the best medicine for them. Eugene Monroe was, until recently, an offensive tackle for the Baltimore Ravens of the NFL. Linemen like him protect the quarterback and block for runners. They are guaranteed to be hit on nearly every play. They are the most important part of a football team, yet they get the least fanfare of any position played. Normally, you'd never hear about Eugene Monroe in the headlines. Except that Eugene Monroe is an active NFL player calling for the league to open up to medical marijuana use by its players. Back in March, Monroe unloaded on the league for its ban on medical marijuana. Quote, let's research how cannabinoids may help curb traumatic brain injury, he wrote on Twitter, adding, smoking weed just may protect your brain, end quote. Monroe even called out the commissioner of the league, Roger Goodell, for, quote, lying to me at the Super Bowl over the league's stance that, quote, there's no medical versus recreational distinction, end quote. Since then, Monroe has contributed $80,000 for medical marijuana research and continued speaking out for more tolerance from the league. As a reward for his stance, the Baltimore Ravens first distanced themselves from him in the media then dropped him from the team. 
Monroe, a talented player in a key position, still hasn't signed with another team as of press time. Despite 20 of its 32 teams playing in states where medical marijuana is now legal, the NFL still considers it a banned substance for its players. Now, players are beginning to fight back and demand the NFL end its ban on medical cannabis use. Evidence of marijuana's efficacy in treating head trauma and chronic pain is emerging. Players are increasingly aware of the long-term health effects of opioid painkillers and want a safer herbal option. Jim McMahon was the punky QB who led the 1985 Chicago Bears to victory in Super Bowl XX. Players were smoking pot back then, but weren't as informed on its medical use, McMahon told me at a recent marijuana conference in Fort Worth, Texas. Quote, Coaches used to just yell at us, McMahon said. You bunch of pot smokers, that's why you need water. End quote. Now, McMahon's former coach, Mike Ditka, has come around to supporting medical marijuana access for players. He's joined a group called the Gridiron Cannabis Coalition that consists of players, coaches, doctors, and others seeking to educate the NFL about the potential of medical cannabis in the league. Quote, it definitely helps for me, McMahon continued, because I'll get shooting pains. I'll, I'll go weeks at a time not getting out of bed, and that's when I know I've got to go back and see the doc, end quote. McMahon is suffering from many chronic pain conditions thanks to years of punishing hits. Chief among them is head and neck pain brought about from countless concussions, or as McMahon puts it, getting your bell rung, a euphemism, a euphemism used by football coaches all across the country at every level to discount the severity of head trauma. When your brain smashes up against your skull, there is a tearing and shearing of brain tissue that has been named chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE. It's a disease that can only be diagnosed via autopsy and was first discovered by Dr. Bennett Omalu in 2002. Will Smith played Dr. Omalu in the movie Concussion, which failed at the box office, but succinctly portrayed the battle to get the NFL to address the issue. Sufferers of CTE experience terrible pain, depression, suicidal ideation, and psychotic breaks. Omalu first discovered CTE in the brain of Hall of Famer Mike Webster, the Pittsburgh Steelers' offensive lineman who battled bouts of rage and depression. Ten years later, CTE was found in the brain of Jovan Belcher, a linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs, who murdered his girlfriend and shot himself in front of his coaches in 2012. CTE also claimed Hall of Fame linebacker Junior Seau, who committed suicide that same year. Seau shot himself in the chest like Chicago Bears safety Dave Duerson had done the year before. Duerson had left a note asking for his brain to be autopsied, and CTE was found. So far, over 90 deceased NFL players have been found to have suffered from CTE. How concussions proceed into full-blown CTE is not yet well understood. What is beginning to be understood, however, is how cannabis may be the best preventative measure for the effects of concussion in the first place. Following a concussion, there is a post-concussion syndrome that causes headaches, dizziness, irritability, insomnia, memory problems, and sensitivity to noise and light. The symptoms can develop within the first week following the concussion and can last three months to a year or longer. Recent research has shown that cannabidiol, or CBD, one of the non-psychoactive constituents of cannabis, 
provides a neuroprotective effect against brain damage from concussion. Use of CBD has also been shown to reduce brain swelling and inflammation after concussion. But as the research continues to validate what many players know from trial and error, the NFL refuses to budge on its anti-marijuana policies. Commissioner Goodell last February told reporters, quote, It's an NFL policy, and we believe it's the correct policy for now in the best interest of our players and the long-term health of our players, end quote. When pressed by reporters about players like Jim McMahon speaking out for medical cannabis and the recent advances in research on cannabis and concussion, Goodell demurred, saying, quote, I don't distinguish between the medical, marijuana, and marijuana issue in the context of my previous answer. Yes, I agree there have been changes, but not significant enough changes that our medical personnel have changed their view, end quote. Quote, for Roger Goodell to say we're following the science, they need to lead the science, end quote, said Marvin Washington, a former defensive end for the New York Jets. Quote, they need to research this, end quote. Washington then proceeded to list the painkillers, the neprosin, the oxycontin, the Percocets, that are handed out by NFL team doctors instead of, quote, something that's natural, something that has no negative side effects and no addiction problems, end quote. In 2014, the NFL recently settled a multi-million dollar lawsuit by over 4,500 players over the issue of concussion. The players claimed the league had failed to inform the players of the true dangers involved. The settlement meets out some compensation for the players, but amounted to a small fraction of the $10 billion business that is the NFL. Even if an NFL player avoids a concussion, there's no way he can avoid pain. For NFL teams, keeping the player on the field is paramount. NFL team doctors know this and supply their players with a litany of powerful and addictive opioid painkillers to address their injuries. Back in 1996, legendary former Green Bay Packers quarterback Brett Favre was one of the most high-profile players to publicly admit to a problem with opioid painkiller addiction. By 2014, former linebacker Scott Fujita was telling the Washington Post that team doctors gave him, quote, the craziest big pill bottle you've ever seen, end quote, full of at least 125 Percocets. Former offensive lineman Rex Hadnot explained how he received Toradol injections, a powerful anti-inflammatory, once a week for nine years. The FDA recommends using Toradol no more than five days due to the risk of kidney damage. Now, over 1,500 former players have filed a class action lawsuit that claims, quote, NFL teams and their training staffs dispensed powerful drugs while misleading them about the health risks, end quote. And that NFL team doctors, quote, were routinely and indiscriminately giving out powerful painkillers, often without prescriptions or even a cursory exam, to mask pain and injuries and get players back on the field without regard for their long-term health, end quote. The suit has survived an initial motion to dismiss by the NFL. The NFL keeps marijuana on its banned substances list not because it is a performance-enhancing drug, but merely because it is still a federally illegal drug. The NFL markets heavily to young people and doesn't want to be portrayed as soft on drugs. It's also no coincidence that the biggest advertisers on the NFL games include beer and pharmaceutical companies that would face direct competition from greater access to marijuana. For years, 
the league maintained one of the strictest limits for drug testing marijuana among its players. Just 15 nanograms of marijuana metabolite in a urine sample was enough to fail the test. In 2014, the league upped the limit to 35 nanograms. Regardless, both these minute amounts of metabolite can be detected in cannabis consumers days or even weeks after the effect of cannabis has worn off. Other sports leagues have recognized this and use a higher metabolite limit in their testing. Major League Baseball requires 50 nanograms for a failed test. The World Anti-Doping Agency, which tests Olympic athletes, raised its threshold from 15 nanograms to 150, arguing that that would help prevent catching athletes who weren't actually high during competition. And the National Hockey League doesn't even test for marijuana metabolites. Failing the NFL's drug test has serious consequences for a player. This year, the annual testing began on April 20th, yes, 420, and continued through August 9th. Once a player passes that one annual test, he is unlikely to be tested again unless he raises a red flag through a marijuana arrest or a public incident. Even joking on Twitter about the 420 holiday can earn a player a random request for a drug test sample, as Indianapolis Colts punter Pat McAfee found out this year on 421. The NFL substance abuse policy, agreed to by the NFL Players Association and in effect until 2021, specifies a series of increasing penalties for marijuana test failures, beginning with a mandatory substance abuse program for first-time offenders. Subsequent offenses earn suspensions and loss of pay, like the Denver Broncos Super Bowl MVP defensive end Vaughn Miller, who sat out six games in 2013, and the 10 games then-league-leading Cleveland Browns wide receiver Josh Gordon sat out in 2014. The NFL's policy also harms the careers of athletes coming out of college before they've even set foot on the gridiron. Some coaches still see marijuana use as a character issue and a mark of an inferior player. Laramie Tunsil, a potential number one draft choice who played offensive tackle at Old Miss, saw his draft position plummet all the way down from number one to number 13 this year, meaning the difference of millions of dollars in his NFL contract. In a sense, marijuana testing is a mechanism for getting some highly talented players at cheaper prices, like future Hall of Fame former Minnesota Vikings wide receiver Randy Moss, who also saw his draft stock drop following publicized marijuana incidents in college. Moss recently commented on Tunsil's fall to CBS Sports, saying, quote, the NFL just needs to loosen up the rules and that, quote, when you are caught on camera smoking something, that's not a character issue. I think of a guy out there as driving under the influence, beating women or doing something that will really hurt others. That's where you have to be able to draw the line, end quote. For some players, they'll make the choice to try synthetic marijuana. These dangerous concoctions are prized for their ability to provide the high without failing the drug test, which doesn't detect the synthetic metabolites. But these untested drugs for lab use only create a wide range of reactions, from a pleasant high to psychotic episodes. Some high-profile incidents featuring players using synthetic pot, including New England Patriots defensive end Chandler Jones, who stumbled into a police station early in the morning this January, complaining of a bad reaction to the drug. The time has come for the NFL to adopt a sensible policy on cannabis use by its players.
with possibly nine states voting on legalization or medical marijuana this fall, the NFL could find itself with three quarters of its teams playing in medical marijuana states and one quarter of its teams playing in legal marijuana states. The country could have 30 medical marijuana states and nine adult legalization states by the time the next Super Bowl is played. With concern over concussion and CTE, painkillers and addiction, and needlessly affecting the careers of dozens of young men over marijuana, a substance a majority of Americans in 10 straight polls have agreed should be legal, the NFL is actively harming its players by not offering the safer alternative of cannabis. That's all the time we got for today. Thanks for joining us, and stay tuned for Hour 2. Toker Talk Radio is next. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, Tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tow. I am here. Or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer-mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, Tokers and Tokets, and welcome to Hour 2. Time for Toker Talk Radio. Pay no attention to the intro because our phone line is down at this point. You can't call in. i got to get that fixed. So much to do, so little time. Beautiful day here in legal potland. And I'm sure hoping that so many more states get to be legal here coming in 2016. I've been uh, on the horn with the folks at Cannabis Radio, and we're preparing our marijuana election night coverage. All sorts of possibilities here. We might even be hooking up, cross your fingers, 
with one of the major cable news outlets and uh, providing uh, marijuana information for them. So (laughs) wouldn't that be fun? We shall see what happens. Um, Also want to make a shout out uh, for the Indo Expo. Indo Expo is taking place first weekend of August here in Portland, and Cannabis Radio is going to have a major display there. We'll be bringing uh, live coverage from uh, Indo Expo, so make sure you stop by our huge 20 by 30 booth and say hi if you're in the Portland area. But as I was saying, I really want I really want more legal states, and we're all excited about the marijuana election night because we could have nine or ten different states voting. On legalization, we've already got a guarantee. California, Nevada, and Maine are on the ballot. Arizona is going to be on the ballot. They're on the ballot, but there's this legal challenge right now that they still got to get passed. I think they will. And then Massachusetts is on the ballot as question four. Um, And that's the one we're worried about because if you uh, caught the first hour in our uh, headlines, this new poll is out on Massachusetts, where the voters there, 51% are against question four, 51% against legalization in Massachusetts. Normally, when you start these ballot initiatives, you want to be in the 60% positive range. You want to have 60% support because as the campaign goes on, you lose some of your support. So for Massachusetts to be at 41% support right now, does not bode well for them passing legalization. And I'm kind of surprised because in the last two presidential elections, 2008 and 2012, they voted on marijuana policy. They passed decrim by over 60%. They passed medical by over 60%. It's just weird, isn't it, that legalization is a bridge too far for some people. It's like, all right, we won't lock you in jail. All right, we'll let you have medical dispensaries. But nope, we can't let you... Stop buying your weed in the park from some guy. <laughs> that's that's the thing that frustrates me the most. It's like these people that don't want legalization because they're they don't want the pot shops. They're worried about the pot shops, or they're worried about the edibles, or whatever excuse they make. Fail to recognize how that already exists. It's just existing on a black market, benefiting criminals. <laughs> uh, anyway. Good luck to the folks in Massachusetts. We'll be out there for Boston Freedom Rally in September, and let's hope that some education happens. Part of the problem they got here is they've got some pretty strong opposition that's raised a pretty decent amount of money, and it's headed by the governor, Charlie Baker, out there, who is incredibly popular, which is weird. Massachusetts, you think of a, as a blue state, you know, tax and but they got this Republican governor, and he's... Over 60% approval ratings. He's got the highest approval ratings of any governor in the United States. And he's come out vocally against question four, as has the Speaker of the House and the Mayor of Boston. So I don't know what it's going to take to get Massachusetts over the hump. But uh, let's hope it happens. I don't want to see a loss on Election Day. Be back with uh, Sanjo Tree versus Kevin Sabet right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Next to THC and CBD. 
you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com. <sighs> cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash. And I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase and gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. Pay quick. The safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Fortunate to have Michael Brewer of Brewer and Shipley. Your signature top ten song, One Toke Over the Line. I've read a couple different versions of, of what the tune's origins are. What's the true story? We were playing a little club in Kansas City. A friend stopped by with some really good hash. We stepped out back and came back in. We're tuning up in the dressing room, and Tom said, Man, I'm really One Toke Over the Line. I just cracked up. I thought it was hysterical. We literally wrote that song just entertaining ourselves and to make our friends laugh. It's time to Hemp Resent, only on Cannabis Radio. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Your grapefruits are no match for my Trump Towers. Okay, maybe you're high too. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. Most of us pirates, we go on vacation to North Dakota, you know, because they've got a town called Argusville. What are you smoking there, boy? This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Like I said, we're looking forward to Marijuana Election Night 2016, coming up November 8th. We're going to have reporters from all over the country in each state that is voting on marijuana uh, to bring us the election returns as they come in. And if I have to, you know, bring out my crystal ball still here in the middle of July, long time before the election, but if I have to predict how this is going to go down, I'll make some predictions. So for legalization, we got California. It's on the ballot. I think it passes. I, I, I cannot see... Prop 64 not passing in California. California will legalize marijuana. We've got Arizona, which has this, you know, it's got enough signatures for the ballot for sure. And I think they even got, have an initiative number now. Uh, but there's this legal challenge that's got to be heard on August 12th as to whether or not the 100-word summary was misleading. I, it's a Hail Mary pass. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. So Arizona is going to be on the ballot. Does Arizona pass, though? And I'm not so sure about Arizona passing. It only passed medical marijuana by 50.13%. And it's got a very vocal 
uh, anti-marijuana uh, campaign from both sides. Got f- coming from the right with the uh, Maricopa and Yavapai County attorneys and this whole uh, sensible Arizona, whatever the hell it is, uh, opposing it. And then from the left, you've got Jason Medar and the whole Arizonans for Mindful Reform, pot smokers, stoners against legalization who are attacking the initiative. So it's getting attacked on both sides. And it's already kind of a conservative-leaning state. So does legalization pass in Arizona? I'm going to give this a 50-50. It's a coin flip. It's going to be close, folks. Uh, Next door, Nevada has marijuana legalization on the ballot. I think this one's a pretty... Uh, lead pipe cinch too. Uh, not as strongly as California, but I'm pretty sure Nevada is going to pass legalization. So for the West, I can see California and Nevada passing Arizona. Maybe now, as we move back East, we've got Maine and Massachusetts, Maine. I'm going to put at the same level, maybe one notch higher than uh, Arizona where Arizona, I'm giving it a 50, 50. I'd give Maine a 51, 49. I think it's going to be close in Maine as well. Then Massachusetts, as that poll came out, it said only 41% support in Massachusetts. And if you forced me to take a bet on this, I would have to bet against it passing. An initiative going in at this point with 41%, that does not bode well. That is some really bad news. So if I have to rank them in order, it's California, pass. Nevada, pretty sure to pass. Maine, likely to pass. Arizona, coin flip. Massachusetts, probably not. When it comes to the legal states. So we could go um, anywhere from two out, of th- two out of five to four out of five, I think. I think getting all five is not going to happen. Then let's take a look at the medical states. We got Florida, Arkansas, Missouri, Montana, and possibly North Dakota. They're all in varying states right now. Uh, Florida and Arkansas are on the ballot. And Florida is a constitutional amendment that's going to require 60% of the vote. And they tried in 2014, and they got 58% of the vote. And that was after a heavy anti-campaign, the biggest spending on anti-marijuana campaign so far. Sheldon Adelson was a big part of that. But that was an off-year election. In the 2016 presidential election, the natural support for marijuana should be more likely. There should be a greater poll turnout amongst the demographics that are going to support us. But 60% is still a high number to have to pass. And there's going to be more money coming in against this just like there was before. And now they can use, the opponents can use the excuse that they have this law, the CBD law for the epileptic kids, and this let them try law which is this new law that was passed that said terminal patients can try experimental drugs and they're going to include high THC cannabis with that. But you have to be terminally ill. Basically, the law is, well, you're going to die, so why not let you try some? But they'll be able to use those two laws to say, hey, look, we did something for the sickest and most disabled. Whether or not that works, I don't know. I would give Florida, I think it's likely to pass. I think they're likely to get 61, 62%. But um, it's going to be close. Arkansas? Arkansas, I see, is more likely to fail than likely to pass. Um, Arkansas tried a medical marijuana initiative back in 2012, and it got 48% of the vote. Uh, this initiative is its a really good initiative. If, if, it, if it passes, it's going to be the most wide-open medical marijuana initiative to pass uh, since at least Michigan in 2008. 
with that said, I think that could be a hang-up for getting it passed in uh, in that state, just because they uh, the first southern state to pass a comprehensive medical marijuana after Florida, I think would have to be a little more restrained. So we shall see. Missouri is still fighting its way to make the ballot. I think in Missouri, the chances are a little bit better than they are in Arkansas, but both states are southern kind of states, and it's going to be tough to pass anything there. Then as we look at Montana, Montana is an interesting case because Montana is going to have a initiative. It's made the ballot, the initiative to uh, restore their medical marijuana program. And then there's going to be another initiative that's likely to make the ballot to absolutely repeal their medical marijuana program. No medical marijuana whatsoever. The chances of how this goes is hard to say. I don't think the initiative to repeal will pass. I I think there's enough people who appreciate that, yes, truly sick people need medical marijuana, that I don't think they can pass that one. I think the general feeling in Montana among lawmakers, law enforcement, and some of the public is that medical marijuana was a good thing, but it got abused, it got taken advantage of. And that's why they supported the the 2011 bill to restrict the program. And when there was a veto referendum on it, they they supported the law 57%. So I don't think the repeal can pass. But can the medical marijuana restoration pass? That's going to be tough because you're asking people to go back to the way medical marijuana was when it was demonized and there were so many patients and out-of-state plates at the dispensaries and the all, all of the things that gave it a black eye in the first place. I will say this. I think the restoration will do better than the repeal. The question is, can the restoration break 50%? I hope it can. And finally, North Dakota. Um, North Dakota is... I don't think it's likely to make the ballot. They, they turned in about 17,500 signatures. They needed about 13,500 signatures. So they're going to have to have like 74, 76% validity rate uh, for their signatures. And that's a hard, hard target to hit. But if they do hit that target and medical marijuana makes the ballot in North Dakota, could it pass? Boy, hard to say. I think it's, it's more likely not to pass in North Dakota But, um, you know, it's a 2016 election. Who knows what could happen? Everything's up for grabs. We'll be covering it all here on Marijuana Election Night on CannabisRadio.com. It'll be my fifth straight election covering covering the the nation, basically. We started in 2010. Uh, I covered uh, Prop 19 from Oaksterdam in Oakland, California, as it lost. Then in 2012, uh, we had coverage from all three states, from Oregon, Washington, and Colorado. Uh, I was in Washington with the I-502 people. Kerry Gallagher, Cannabis Kerry, was in uh, Denver with the uh, Amendment 64. And uh, Jennifer Alexander and Iva Cunningham did the coverage from uh, Portland, Oregon, as we lost in 2012. For 2014, we had coverage in all four of the states that were voting uh, I'm sorry, All uh, uh, both of the states that were voting, Oregon and Alaska voting for legalization. And we covered some of the other states that had uh, various uh, initiatives going on. In 2015, I was in Columbus, Ohio for the ill-fated Issue 3 campaign. 
And this year, uh, I'm not sure where I will be broadcasting from. I think I'm going to be in California. I think Cannabis Radio will probably, will probably get ourselves set up at Oaksterdam or someplace in California to, to cover the election. But we are going to have reporters from all of these states, up to possibly 10 states. And I've got it covered for uh, California and Arizona um, and probably Massachusetts. <laughs> But if you know people in some of those other uh, – uh, I think I can get Arkansas and Missouri as well and Florida. Uh, but uh, if you know anybody in Maine, Montana, or North, North Dakota that would like to help us cover this election uh, from that state, especially North Dakota. I don't know who I'm going to find in North Dakota. I don't know any North Dakota activists. Uh, if, but if you know someone or you can help me spread the word, you got some relatives or somebody up there who wouldn't mind being on the phone – uh, and holding on the line for me to uh, help uh, report from those areas. We're even looking at uh, getting some massive sponsorship for this event, and we may be able to pay our reporters. Uh, I can't guarantee anything yet, but we are working on that angle because it is hard work. Uh, and we, we will be covering from the East Coast polls all the way through the West Coast. So Maine and Massachusetts will be voting first. Uh, I think their polls close 8 p.m., Eastern would be 5 p.m. Pacific. So we'll just do the Russ Belville show. We'll lead into marijuana election night. We'll cover it until they're finally closed all the way on the West Coast. So enjoy that. That's coming up November 8th this year. We interrupt this program to annoy you and make things generally irritating. (laughs) All right. uh, That's 420 out here in the Pacific time zone. Time for us to take... A break for our union-mandated safety briefing. We always want to make sure that we're ultra-safe. And one of the best ways you can be safe when it comes to marijuana is legalizing it so that it's labeled and inspected and you know exactly what you're getting. Take a break. We're back with San Ho Tree versus Kevin Sabet right after this. Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. About a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you life yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts. 
from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. Get the latest updates on The Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking The Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you're feeling mellow. As we learned in hour one, smoking pot makes you mellow. Yes, uh, scientists have confirmed (laughs) smoking pot makes you mellow. Okay. I want to turn things over to somebody I uh, admire and appreciate. I get to read his work online and see him at various uh, activism events. His name's San Ho Tree, and uh, he's uh, one of these public policy gurus. And most recently, he was on a TRT World. I'm not sure what that stands for, but he was on TRT World, uh, a program called Newsmakers. And um, he was in a debate with uh, Kevin Sabet, the head of Project Sam, the nation's leading anti-marijuana legalization group. So I wanted to turn things over to uh, to Sanho here and hear his, a little bit of his debate with Kevin Sabet. Here we go. It's the so-called war on drugs and whether drugs should be legalized. In New York is Sanho Tree. He's the director of the Drug Policy Project that's pushing to end the international war on drugs and replace it with new policies. Also in New York is Kevin Sabet, Kevin's director of the Drug Policy Institute and former senior advisor to the White House Office on National Drug Control Policy. Thanks, both of you, for joining us. Kevin Sabet, let's start with you. Was El Chapo's capture a victory in the war on drugs? Well, look, he was the leader of one of the most violent and bloody syndicates this world has you know, seen in modern times. So I think it's a good day when, when he's captured and justice will be done. I'm not under any illusion that, you know, by capturing him, we all of a sudden are going to stop drugs from flowing. There are other cartels and other people that will replace him. And this speaks to the complexity of this issue. We need really to, you know, get a change rule of law. We need to institute confidence in institutions so that people can actually get an education and have a real you know chance at a real job that can make them a living that's worth you know and, and that they can actually provide their for their family would you like to fine tune the current program 
Yeah, I think we need to absolutely fine-tune it, sometimes make some wholesale changes. I mean, the reason we've had prison swelling in the U.S. goes far beyond just drug crimes. So we've had things like, um, you know, uh, mandatory minimums for other crimes. We've had three strikes and you're out laws. And there are things that we can do to actually reduce incarceration and also reduce crime. So treating addiction um, as a disease and having, first, for example, specialized drug treatment courts that are, uh, you know, if they're done in the right way, uh, with you know preserving human rights, but also preserving public safety and health, um, could be one way to do it. We need to increase uh, prevention, um, and and sh- so because we know prevention is is you know worth a pound of cure, an ounce of prevention. I just wanted to pause this for some commentary because two things that Kevin Sabet will always come back to, and one is this idea that uh, uh, we need drug courts, that drug courts will help, and that drug courts are part of the answer, and. In a sense, you got to look at two sides of this coin. On the one side of the coin with the drug court, if you got someone that, let's say, they're addicted to heroin, they're living on the streets, they're breaking into cars to steal shit to pawn or to sell so they can get some more heroin, and you bust them for breaking into the cars, then, yeah, let's take them to a drug court. Let's get them some help for their heroin addiction to get them off of this this addiction that's forcing them to commit these crimes. Absolutely, I'm all for that. The problem is the other side of the coin, which is the guy that gets caught with a bag of weed, and that's it. That's the crime. That's it. That's the only crime that he's committed is getting caught with the bag of weed. The idea of the drug court is to take people who've committed actual crimes – because of their addiction and help them by curing their addiction or treating their addiction. But when someone's busted with a bag of weed, there's no crime that we're having to remediate here. They're just caught with a bag of weed. And so we send them to a drug court and we say, okay, well, you're going to go to jail for this bag of weed or you can go to this rehab where we, te- where we piss test you. And if you pass that, then no problem. And gee, what do you think people are going to pick? And here's the problem with people picking that, because if you do fail the P-test, and sometimes that can happen even though you've stopped smoking pot and you're obeying the rules, the way it's released in your system is variable, and you could actually have a positive test even though you've quit for a while. Well, if that happens, you're, you're back in jail, and you're usually put into jail for a worse uh, uh, sentence than you would have got if you just pleaded guilty in the first place and had some sort of plea agreement. Right. So it's, this is especially troublesome when we talk about the people addicted to meth and cocaine and heroin and alcohol who go through these drug courts and relapse is a part of addiction. You know, that just happens sometimes for, for some of these people. And the cost of relapse is getting a far worse sentence than if they had just plea bargained in the first place. And when we look at the statistics, there's a, st- a stat the federal government keeps track of in a database called the Treatment Episode Data Set Admissions, TEDS A. And when you take people who and – and you look at the people who are in, in rehab with marijuana as their primary or sole substance, well over half those people that are in rehab are there because the criminal justice system forced them there. Well over half. And only about 15% are self-admitting. Only about 15% go, God, man, I got a real problem with weed. I need some rehab. So, yeah, so yeah, no wonder 
Kevin Sabet likes the drug courts because his buddies in the treatment industry, many of whom who are on the board of Project Sam, love the idea of court-ordered rehab clients, people that have to be their customers. And it's especially a bonus because these pot smokers are great rehab customers. In the TEDS A database, we find the people who are in rehab for marijuana alone or as a primary substance, 36 to 7% of them didn't even smoke any marijuana in the month before they went to rehab. The judge says, all right, you know, court order, you're going to go to rehab, stop smoking pot, and they do. And another 17, 18% of them only smoked pot once or twice a week or once or twice a month, I should say, in the month before they went to rehab. So you have a situation here where over half the people in rehab for marijuana that were forced there, uh, over half the people in, in rehab for marijuana, I should say, aren't even that addicted to it. They're not, they're, they, they can quit it easily. So if you're a guy who owns a rehab, not only do you get these court-ordered clients coming to you, who, by the way, are just pot smokers, so a lot of them are still employed and have insurance and can pay for their rehab. But when it comes time to evaluate how well they did in the rehab, well, they're, they're, they're pot smokers and they quit. And it looks like, hey, look, your rehab worked. They came in as pot smokers and after they left, they weren't smoking pot anymore. Well, yeah, because you were threatening them with a pee test that would send them to jail. So when it comes time to get your next grant, get your next uh, uh, contract, you can point to these statistics and say, hey, look how many people graduate our rehab, how, how well our rehab does. Those stats would be much worse if the only people in rehab were there for coke, meth, and heroin, and Oxycontin, and alcohol, because relapse is a big part of those drugs. So that's, I had to comment on that, because every time Kevin Sabet brings up drug courts, I know the public hears that, and they think the frame of that seems like it's a compassionate frame. Rather than sending people to prison, we'll send them to a rehab without recognizing that it's really just a rent-seeking kind of gesture from the rehab community, especially when it comes to weed. And um, anyway, so that was, there's that. And then um, the other thing he brought, brought up, Kevin Sabet brought up, was this idea of prevention. We need to have more prevention. Well, what does prevention mean to Kevin Sabet? Prevention means finding ways to stop people from smoking pot. And stop kids from smoking pot, for that matter. And how does he do that? Well, he's all for all of these uh, brief interventions and treatments and, and restrictions. And, of course, not legalizing marijuana so people can get a hold of pot. Anyway, let's go back to the uh, newsmakers on uh, TRT World. We'll hear a rebuttal soon from San Tree. And we also need to make sure that other countries, um, that of course their customs are respected and human rights, but that there are other opportunities for, for example, opium, you know, poppy farmers in Afghanistan or coca growers in Mexico. And that's only going to happen if we have a much more of a wide scale change in democratic institutions and making sure that law enforcement is actually, you know, doesn't, it doesn't get corrupted so okay. that they're paid what they deserve, making sure teachers and healthcare systems systems are, are installed, yeah. Okay, let's get Sanho Tree. Sanho, all of that sounds quite reasonable, doesn't it? 
Uh, well, actually, it, not only is this not going to reduce the amount of drugs coming into the United States, in fact, there was a, an internal homeland security study uh, done by Customs and Border Protection in 2010 uh, that looked at the inf impact of capturing high-level cartel leaders, and they said there's no discernible impact in the amount of drugs flowing in the United States. In fact, I would go even further that this, the decapitation strategy against cartels actually increases violence and has the potential of doing so tremendously. Uh, it creates a vacuum whereby uh, the lieutenants of a cartel may strive to, to get into a power struggle to take it over, or rival cartels may sense weakness and then try to take over their turf. And so this bloody drug war that President Calderon, the previous president of Mexico, uh, started unleashing in 2005 has killed well over 100,000 people now. And at the end of this bloody process, assuming it does end someday, uh, the, the current turf wars that are going on, um, does anyone believe that drugs will stop flowing into the United States? Uh, and, and, and it hasn't. The first two times El Chapo was put in prison, it didn't impact uh, the flow of drugs at all. So why do we think this is any different? Uh, but it's going, it, it has the potential of dramatically increasing violence, uh, as we have seen in Mexico for the past decade now. And Sanjo, looking a little bit deeper and further back, you want uh, marijuana, heroin, cocaine? You want everything legalized? I think, you know, certainly the cannabis trade uh, should be legalized. Um, we uh, have experimented this with the United States. The results are very positive. The uh, cocaine and, and, and heroin are more problem yeah. problematic drugs. It doesn't mean we need to criminalize them, however. Um, there are heroin maintenance, maintenance programs being tried around the world uh, where you take that out of the hands of the black market and criminal enterprises. And this is only for people who have not been able to give up heroin or use methadone or other uh, treatment modalities. Uh, these are the hardcore. And for them, they can get prescription heroin, uh, which is much safer and it doesn't involve the black market. Um, that's a, it's the last step measure, but I think it's different. Yeah. So we, we have to stop thinking in terms of black and white, that it's either legal or illegal. It, just because you decriminalize something or, or choose uh, to regulate it doesn't yeah. mean you want to make it readily available okay. for people to go sample and try. And, and, and So we have a false dichotomy yeah. being played here. Okay, well, let's, let's yeah. br bring Kevin All right, so that's Kevin where Kevin will want to get in. We're going to have to save that until we uh, come back from the break. Uh, more from uh, San Ho Tree versus Kevin Sabet. But I'll just add this point. You know, they always try to get you, these uh, these media people, they try to get to that shocking question of, well, do you think all dr drugs should be legalized? And I'm in a position where I can say just flat out, yes. Yes, all drugs should be legal. And then I can follow that with, but legal is a spectrum that ranges from chocolate to morphine. Some drugs should be closer to chocolate. Other drugs should be closer to morphine. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. And don't forget, Stoner Jesus at 5. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. From dabs to chibas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way.
educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 39 after the hour. And quick reminder that coming up at the top of this hour, we've got Stoner Jesus joining you from Stoner Heaven. Live on CannabisRadio.com every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday right after this program. He'll save your stony soul, so be ready. 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern Time. For this segment, I want to head back to the state of Arizona. Yesterday, we did a two-part rant on the talking points that are being fostered by the uh, people against marijuana legalization in Arizona. And being promulgated through the opposition arguments that will appear on the 2016 ballot. You know, whenever there's initiatives, there's the pro arguments and the con arguments. And we tore down some of the con arguments yesterday. And uh, there are just so many. Even in a two-part rant, I wasn't able to get at all of them. So I wanted to cover just a few more. Uh, This comes from the statement of Ed Gogek, MD. He's been a guest on the show, uh, author of Marijuana Debunked. And I'll put it all as one point here. He says, in Colorado, they entice kids with marijuana candies, cookies, and sodas. Uh, Just like big tobacco, the legal marijuana industry targets teenagers because with tobacco and marijuana, 90% of adult users start as teens. Denver pot stores aren't filled with green leafy weed. They're filled with THC-infused gummy bears, lollipops, and sweetened products called Reefers Peanut Butter Cups, Hashies Chocolate, and Pot Tarts. Google them. Okay, yeah, we could Google them, Ed, and what we'd find is that those were brand names that were in the Tainted Ink case from 2001 back in California. Nobody in Denver is selling Reefer's peanut butter cups and Hashi's chocolate and Pot-Tarts. Um, and as far as this, this idea that we are somehow marketing to kids because we are making candy... infused candies and infused uh, cookies and brownies and stuff. 
ignores the fact that, according to the American Confectioners Association, three out of four gummy bears eaten in America are eaten by adults. See, I don't know where these people live that adults don't like cookies and candy and and crackers and gummy bears and brownies. Have they been to Walmart? Have they seen the people? I mean, we are not a svelte people here in America. I, I'm one to talk, right? <laughs> so this idea that making candies and cookies sold in a store that you have to show a 21 ID to get into is somehow marketing to children is just crazy. I mean, it's gotten so crazy now that Colorado banned any fruit or animal shaped gummies. So you can have a gummy square, you can have a gummy circle, <laughs> you can even make a gummy pyramid, I suppose, but you can't have a, a, a gummy shaped bear, like it can't have a head and arms and legs. Can you have a gummy starfish? No, no gummy starfish, <laughs> right? But you could have a gummy star, couldn't you? <laughs> I mean, this is just so silly how, how it's gone, this this idea that somehow these tasty treats are being marketed to kids. It just ain't so. The uh, effect, of course, that Gogek wants to scare us about, he says, as a result, Colorado now has the country's highest rate of teenage marijuana use, and the number of dogs and toddlers overdosing on pot has skyrocketed. Okay. We covered it yesterday in a number of these, uh, these pieces that try to say that Colorado's got the highest teen use. It doesn't. Colorado's monthly teen use in the last survey was at 21.3. The national average is 21.7. So they can't possibly have the highest rate of teenage marijuana use. And to this issue about the dogs and toddlers overdosing on pot, no. What we can say accurately is the reports of people going in to emergency rooms and poison control centers because of marijuana is on the rise. The reporting is on the rise. See, when marijuana was illegal and your dog got into your stash, you didn't tell anybody about that. You didn't take the dog to the vet and say, hey, my dog got into my marijuana. You don't want to attract attention to the fact that you got marijuana. So we can't really tell how much it's gone up. I am willing to concede it may have gone up some. There's more access to marijuana. But since marijuana is a non-toxic substance, and since marijuana overdoses can be easily uh, mitigated through proper education, I don't see this as reason enough to continue locking people up in cages for their use, growing, and selling of marijuana. Remember that in any of these arguments, whenever you feel like you're getting stuck with these people, you can always follow up by saying, and so that's why we ought to keep locking up adults who buy, grow, and sell marijuana? Because that's what they're arguing for. Remember, every they want to attack legalization as something bad. Pick holes in our arguments. Oh, you said this much tax revenue, but it's only that much tax revenue. Oh, you said the schools get money, and they never did. Oh, you said the black market would go away, and it never did. They'll make up straw men to battle. And just keep, it bring, keep bringing it back to, so that's why you think we ought to keep locking up people who use marijuana? 
because that's what they're supporting. The, um, the other part that they get in here is, um, and let's go to, let's see if we can get someone different here to talk about. Okay. Uh, Richard H. Retkowski, MD from Fountain Hills, Arizona, complains that in the 1960s, marijuana contained 1% THC. In 2016, marijuana edibles contain from 30 to 70% THC. This is the old not-your-father's-woodstock-weed argument. I think we debunked it on yesterday's show, so let me move on to another. They have a... Oh, the Bishops of Arizona Catholic Conference wants to let you know that studies have shown that adolescents who use marijuana have significant differences in brain structure and cognitive functioning compared to those who do not use marijuana and experience up to an eight-point drop in IQ. Folks, you're going to see that eight-point drop in IQ in so many of these anti-positions for the rest of the year. Let's take this one out to the woodshed. The eight-point IQ drop refers to a study, long-term cohort of uh, people studied in Dunedin, New Zealand. And what's significant about this is they were able to track them at, you know, in their childhood, in their adolescence, up to their 30s. And they were able to track whether or not they used marijuana, how much they used marijuana, and came to some conclusions. And the one thing they found is that the ones who had used marijuana heavily as adolescents turned out to have eight points, an average IQ, eight points lower than the rest of them. This was jumped on by Kevin Sabet and the anti-marijuana propagandists immediately. And the next thing you heard, bullet point, bumper sticker, time after time, was when teens smoke pot, they lose eight points of IQ. This was their... This was their golden goose, man. This was just so a gift to them. The only problem with it was that a lot of people doubted that study. One of them was a name, uh, a researcher named Ole Rogeberg, who took the same data set and he applied some statistical analysis to it. Like, hey, let's, did we think about factoring in how poor these people were or what opportunities they had and what what areas they came from. Do we factor those kind of things in? And once he did that, he was able to find that the IQ drop was attributable not to the cannabis use, but to the fact that they came from a worse socioeconomic background. And it just so happens people in the lower socioeconomic background had more use of marijuana. And those findings were published in the same exact journal that had published the first eight point IQ drop thing. And then those people went back and rebutted that. And it was a big argument, but basically what we came down to is that scientists looking at the same data could not come up with a reasonable conclusion as to whether or not cannabis smoking had led to these kids losing eight points of IQ supposedly. In the meantime, after that 2012 study in the intervening years, there's been more studies and most particularly there was a study I think it was Queens College in London. I, I think it's somebody in London. The twin study, or was it Duke, Duke University plus University of London? Yeah, something like that. But anyway, it's the twin study. And what they did is they had you know, 1,600 pair of identical twins, something like that. A huge number, whatever it was, uh, of identical twins. Where one twin 
was a pot smoker and the other twin was not a pot smoker. <laughs> like, how do you find these people? First of all, how does that happen? But anyway, they found them. <laughs> and what they found is they couldn't tell much difference between the pot smoking twin and the non pot smoking twin. Even after all the years of pot smoking, they tended to test the same. There was no cognitive deficit for the people that smoked the pot. This is not to say that teenagers ought to get baked before they go to class. What it is to say is we ought not to be making public policy decisions for adults based on this scaremongering of what might happen to the kids, especially when it might only happen to the kids who use the most marijuana most often, right? <laughs> that's, that's the other thing too. These studies that purport some sort of drop are talking about these kids that were heavy users of marijuana that supposedly found the eight point drop. What they never talked about in that study is they found the kids that were light to moderate users had a greater IQ by two or three points. I never bring that part up, do they? So tear that one apart. Anytime you hear it, this eight point IQ drop, this cognitive functioning. And the thing about difference in brain structure, that's where they're talking about scans, different brain scans. That's junk science. That's just colors on a screen that it's really a, a lot of junk. Um, other points in here, uh, Smoff, Stone Mayhem on the Freeways. Uh, we've got a bunch of others. Another one that's uh, a concern for some of these people against the Arizona legalization are the protections that this initiative gives to people in the arena of employment. It actually forces employers to have to prove that you were impaired by your marijuana use if you test positive and they want to try to fire you or, or not hire you and so on. And of course the employers are freaking out. Oh my God, we'll have pot smokers in the workplace as if they don't now. This is something to beware. Arizona is going to be a really close initiative. Like I said earlier in the show. And if something like blowing up drug testing at the workplace is enough to get voters to be against this thing, you have to ask whether or not it was worth putting it in the initiative. These are tough things to have to fight about. I mean, Washington State, they're still upset that they never put home grow in their initiative and they still don't have it. But you always have to wait about, well, if we put this thing in, do we lose votes? I don't know. Arizona might not have been the place to put workplace protection into an initiative. All right, we're going to take a break, get the studio all cleaned up here for Stoner Jesus coming up at the top of the hour to save your stony soul from Stoner Heaven. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. Cannabisradio.com. The cannabis industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. 
Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company, financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks, and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Oh, welcome back, everybody. Just a few seconds here to clean things up before Stoner Jesus comes up live at the top of the hour. You'll hear just a little bit of silence while we switch over from the Portland feed to the Stoner Heaven feed. You know how tough it is to get a Wi-Fi connection up in heaven. Coming up on the show, looking forward to some uh, great stuff in the coming weeks. We got uh, next Friday, Kim Prince will be joining us from the uh, Southern California Cannabis Conference and Expo. That's happening the first week in August while I will be in um, Portland for the Indo Expo. But uh, big news from the Southern California conference there in San Diego is that Whoopi Goldberg will be speaking at the conference. So I'm kind of bummed that I don't get to go. But uh, Kim Prince will tell us all about it and tell you how you can get tickets, early bird specials, and more. That's all the time we got here from beautiful legal potland, Oregon. I'm Radical Russ. And um, that's it. (laughs) That's all we got. Stoner Jesus is up next. Appreciate you being here. We love each and every one of you. Some of you more than others, but all of you at least a little. (laughs) My thanks also to the Johns in the chat room. 
Not not customers of Hooker's John's. I mean, their names are John. <laughs> oh, I get silly at the end of the show sometimes. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed.